right. He is the author of too many books. You know what? I've lost tracks. I don't even know. I don't even know how many books. Field Marshal Pierce is uh, up to have written now. Yes, we've neglected it. Yes, we, we were like we we're like neglected stepchildren here, <laughs> with red hair and freckles. We didn't even get alerted that <laughs> it's a good thing I, I'm on the Ignatius Press mailing list. <laughs> and I knew that the good, the bad, and the beautiful was coming out, history in three dimensions. He is also the proprietor of J. Pierce, that's P-E-A-R-C-E dot C-O. That's J. Pierce, that's his uh, website and blog. Uh, the author of too many books to uh, 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 to mention and to list here. Uh, some of them uh, the, that you are familiar with that we talked about with Joseph for many, many years, literary converts, uh, further up, further in, uh, the story of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, uh, he is a walking, talking expert on all things William Shakespeare. And uh, I can actually say he is a, I don't know. Are you still my old and dear friend, Joseph? Well, I'm certainly old. Hopefully, dear. <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly old. You're not old. If you're old, then I'm old. And I don't want to be old. <laughs> Get used to the idea it happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the conversations Joseph and I had when we were in a Chavagne in France, we were, we were in this little pub, and it was like 108 degrees outside, and they don't believe in air conditioning in France, so it was a mere uh, 88 inside. <laughs> and we were trying to get a cold beer. It wasn't very cold, and, we were, and uh, Joseph and I were talking about uh, the conference or whatever we were talking about. And uh, Joseph said, well, you know, Michael, I, uh, after you know, across a certain age, I start thinking about <laughs> what am I going to do when, uh, you know, when death stares me in the, in the face and you have to start preparing for these things. Uh, this is something that uh, even when you're young, though, you want, you want to confront. But uh, uh, five years ago, you and I were talking about death. <laughs> about getting old, and I don't think that we're that old, but uh, I imagine that you're still preparing, aren't you? Well, yeah, I mean, we're meant to, uh, as as Christians, to be keeping the last things at the front of our mind. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The last things, of course, four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I mean, we're all going to die, That's a, and that, that's a given. Uh, we'll all be judged. That's also a given. And the thing that's not given is whether we go to heaven or hell afterwards. So obviously, you know, keeping our uh, our lives in order by by the grace of God, um, keeping ourselves in a state of grace by the grace of God, um, is is something we need to be mindful of every single day because we we don't know when the thief in the night will come. And you know, he can take young people as well as old people. So yeah, we certainly need to be to be alive and awake to the fact that uh, that the end of the world is when we die, uh, and that could be very soon. So I try to keep, I try to live every day, but keep in mind the finishing line. doesn't mean I'm morbid. I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a happy, jolly fellow, and I believe in laughter, the love of friends, but, you know, I, I I'm, I'm, can laugh today and hopefully laugh tomorrow in heaven, because uh, that's where we, have, we live happily ever laughter. You know, I, I, I told uh, something, uh, Brother Andre and Maria and I had a little conversation about this uh, on a Wisdom Wednesday. And I said, Brother, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, get the purgatory. He goes, oh, no, 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 Mike, no, no. Aim high, miss low. <laughs> <laughs> Aim to be St. Michael, miss low. <laughs> Uh, we have a, 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 a Joseph Pierce gift uh, collection set that you can get in the Founders Trading Post store. After I just admonished you to go buy uh, your Pay It Forward, Mary Manley, the little Christmas tickets, it contains the books Literary Converts, 
Faith of Our Fathers and Catholic Literary Giants, um, which is uh, Shakespeare, Waugh, uh, Muggeridge, Chesterton, Belloc, Thompson, Tolkien. Uh, they're all in the, in, the, in the Catholic Literary Giants book. Joseph, have we added anyone? Have you added anyone? Uh, if you had to do Catholic Literary Giants all over again, would you add anyone that you didn't put in the first, uh, the first go-around? Oh yeah, yeah, indubitably. In fact, I've just I've just started a new series for Crisis Magazine, uh, unsung, unsung Heroes of Christendom, because there are many people that aren't as well known as they should be. Um, I mean, Roy Campbell's in that book, for instance. I'm actually in the middle of writing an essay on him at the moment for that series for Crisis. Uh, you know, that writers that should be better known than they are, and in many cases, such as Roy Campbell. The reason they're not better known is because they're Catholics. In other words, that they they they, they find themselves ostracised and cancelled by the culture. I mean, the, the cancel culture is not something that new. Uh, Roy Campbell was cancelled by it back in the 1930s. So, um, you know, uh, that yes, they're, 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 thanks be to God, there are many, many uh, Catholic uh, giants of all sorts, including Catholic literary giants. Yeah, and, um, you know, I the only reason I even know anything about Roy Campbell is because of you, because he's in one of your books. So we, we, yeah. there are a lot of give us a crash course. Who was Roy Campbell? Because people are going like, who was Roy Campbell? Well, well, Joseph Gidde, who was Roy Campbell? Yeah, I'll give you the uh, Roy Campbell in a nutshell, one minute version. Okay. Um, so he's born in South Africa, moved to England uh, in 1919 when he was uh, 17 years old. Uh, lived a very hedonistic lifestyle. Um, um, became a, a famous poet while he was uh, hedonistic, and then fled from the whole sort of decadent underbelly of life in London, which he was involved in, to uh, to the, the countryside of Provence in France, fell in love with the Catholic lifestyle of the peasants and fishermen in Provence, um, then moved with his wife and two daughters across the border into Spain just before the Spanish Civil War, was received of the Catholic Church in 1934. The priest that received him in the church was subsequently murdered by the communists. They moved to Toledo. Uh, and they befriended the Carmelite monks, um, all, all 17 of which would be murdered by the communists, and uh, Campbell would discover their bodies uh, where, where they were shot uh, in the street. Um, but before they died, they asked Roy Campbell and his wife if they could deposit the priceless archives of St. John of the Cross with them, because they feared that when the communists arrived that they, they would not only be killed, but the monastery and the, the library containing these priceless relics of St. John of the Cross would, would be lost. So Campbell uh, took a trunk of those relics and, and hid them in his house, kept them safe. So we have Roy Campbell to thank for um, uh, for the survival of those relics of St. John of the Cross. And, and when the communists raided their house, uh, and Campbell's worried they might discover that, he prayed to the saints, St. John of the Cross, said that if St. John of the Cross... Um, uh, through his intercession, uh, brings his family safe out of, uh, you know, war-ridden Spain back to England, that he would, in, as an act of thanksgiving, translate St. John of the Cross's poetry into English, which he did, uh, and um, his translations of poetry are marvellous, won lots of awards. Um, so, yeah, one of the greatest poets of the 20th century, he was, he was vilified, um, demonised and cancelled because of his support for the nationalists in the Spanish Civil War, but considering that the priest who received him in the church, 17 Carmelite monks, of course, hundreds of other priests, bishops, nuns, were killed by the communists. I mean, but only the Catholics in England supported Franco and the nationalists during that war. Everybody else was on the side of the communists. So 
Campbell was cancelled uh, for, for for his courageous stand um, for the forces of anti-communism in Spain during that war. Uh, we should be grateful for that. For that, we should be grateful for him for his other work, and we should be grateful for him, especially for his marvelous translations of the poetry of St. John of the Cross. There you are, the three-minute version. Hey, that's a, that, that, that gets an applause. Wonderful. Uh, that would intrigue me to, to want to learn uh, more about Ray, uh, Roy Campbell and to read. Now, he's in literary... Is, is he in literary converts? Yeah, he's mentioned in literary converts. He's in Catholic Literary Giants. But more to the point, um, uh, the, the, I actually read a biography of Roy Campbell, uh, which is entitled Unafraid of Virginia Woolf, The Friends and Enemies of Roy Campbell published by ISI Books in the United States and by HarperCollins in the UK. So, uh, so yeah, I've written a whole book on Campbell. He's a favorite of mine. Yeah, he sounds like a, 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 an, amazing, uh, uh, an amazing character. Um, I'm on your, uh, your website at jpeers.co, and I'm reading a, a, a recent little blog post, The Wisdom of Fairyland. And this is one of my favorite subjects, you know, and I got this from you. Uh, so uh, you can either you, either congratulations or condolences, because because I repeat this often. Uh, I gave a talk to a, a Latin Mass Society conference in January of 2020, uh, 22, and I said, you know, one of the things that we as Catholics, especially those of us that fancy ourselves literary and, and men of intellects and men of arts and letters, you see, one of the things that we don't do, and we don't do it very well, is we don't read fiction, and we don't talk about fiction. We, you know, we think we have to read the uh, the, uh, the 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 notes of the Second Lateran Council in order to be fortified, <laughs> or, or, we, or we need eyewitness accounts or the, the last council at Ephesus and what have you. And 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 I and I mentioned you, and I said my friend Joseph Pierce right, talks about uh, imagination all the time, and he's fascinated with Chesterton. And then I asked the audience, how many of you read Chesterton? Joseph, you'd be shocked. There were 150 people there. There were like seven or eight men that raised oh, wow. no women, seven or eight. I'm like, okay, that's your homework assignment. Start reading Chesterton. So I'm reading your essay here, and I just want to read this back to you, and then you and I could talk about this, and you did this better than anyone that I know. From Orthodoxy, Fairyland is nothing but the sunny country of common sense. Now, only Chester can get away with writing that. And then not have you leave the page and go like, that's it, slamming this book, I'm walking away. <laughs> he was fascinated. And, I, and when I talk to young people, Joseph, I think they get this more than the older people. And I'm like, there is something to the, 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 the wonder, as Brother Francis Malouf would say, the wonder of a child. A child looks up at the moon, and he does not know that he can't get there. So he dreams about it. He thinks that, there, man, there may be all kind of critters crawling around up there. <laughs> a child's out playing in the grass, kind of like St. Francis of Assisi, and falls down, and he's staring, and he's in the tall grass, and he's kind of peering through the weeds. And through the weeds, you know, he maybe he's imagining that there are fairies out there. This is something that is it is important to the imagination. The animals can't do this. Only we humans can. And I think so many of us in a cynical age in which we live think that fiction and the creative, you know, the creative part of our minds is something that we are not to focus on. We just need to learn the faith and we need to learn the facts and we need to learn the teaching and the catechism and Canon 816. Uh, I don't agree with that. Do you? Uh, no, because it's in, in an inadequate uh, way of seeing reality, of seeing truth. Um, you know, that we, we need to remember that we are part of God's 
creation. We are the Imago Dei. Um, the, we, are, we are made in his image. God is an artist. We are his greatest work of art, at least in the physical cosmos. We don't know what wonderful things he's done uh, in the metaphysical cosmos in heaven. Please, God, will find that out if we get there. But um, but we are his greatest achievement in art. I'm looking out the window at other beautiful uh, achievements in art, such as uh, the bare trees out there in the beautiful sunlight, the frost on the on the grass. Um, you know, this is a, this is a landscape, and it's painted every day by 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 by, by God. We are meant to be like him. We are also meant to be creators. So as Tolkien says, that God is the creator. He makes things ex nihilo from nothing. We make things from other things that already exist. That's sub-creation. So we take things that already exist and we do beautiful things with them using our imagination. And so you know, the Imago Dei, part of the Imago Dei, the image of God, is the imagination that God has planted in us. We're meant to use that. If we don't use our imagination, we will not be fully human. It's as simple as that. And by the way, it's not just fiction or poetry that we need to employ our imagination for. To innovation in, in science, in mm. technology, anything that's, that, that's really um, um, worthwhile requires the engagement of our imagination to see things, uh, if you like, with, with a sense of wonder so that we can see them afresh. And only when we see them afresh can we actually see them at all, because otherwise we're not really looking at them. No, you're not really looking at them. And uh, Chesterton's fascination with fairyland. I mean, there's a whole chapter in Orthodoxy about fairyland. And uh, there are people that have told me, why should I read Chesterton? He, he, he was obsessed with fairies. He wasn't obsessed with fairies. <laughs> he was just, it was the concept of fairyland, not not the actual fairies. But as uh, Chesterton, uh, what did Chesterton say about uh, uh, about dragons? That you know, that the, that the the child to the child uh, he knows that there is a dragon to slay, and to the adult there is no dragon to slay, so he can't be a child or something to that effect. He's the master of the uh, of the catch twenty two, if you will, of the uh, malapropism. Um, Joseph, no, yeah, he- oh, go, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, he no, he he also said on on that on that topic that the fact is that that that, that children of the dragons exist. In other words, the evil exists. That's all that means. Yes. Dragon is just an, an icon that that symbolizes evil. Children know that dragons exist. What fairy stories allow them to see is that dragons can be slain. In other words, the evil can be defeated. That's the power of it. And he says basically, it's not the earth that judges heaven. It's heaven that judges the earth. Therefore, it's not the earth that judges fairy stories, it's fairy stories that judge the earth. In other words, we should see that the way things are from the perspective of where they should be, all right? That the, 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 the is, is judged is judged by the ought. And that's the whole point, is that perfection is what is the, is the, is the goal, and the perfection is the, is, the, is, the, uh, is the test by which we judge other things, not by, by just saying, well, everything stinks, everything's broken, there's no such thing as good. Uh, because we look around and see that there's nothing perfect. Well, except for Jesus Christ, that's true. But we are called to be as much like Jesus Christ as possible. We're we're called to aspire towards perfection. And in order to do that, we have to know the difference between good and evil, and fairy stories are one of the best ways of showing us that. Fantastic. Joseph Pierce, the author of too many books uh, to mention here, um, uh, wears a Joseph Pierce gift set in the Founders Trading Post store that you can get uh, for a great reading uh, 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 this year. Um, as a Christmas gift set, now, two of those books are signed, um, uh, and you can uh, take, and that's literary converts, 
and uh, what was the other one that I mentioned? Wisdom and Innocence. Um, uh, th- those books are signed by, uh, by by Joseph. Get those in the Founders Trade and Post Store. And we have like a, a dozen others, and including the Shakespeare collection. And uh, you might as well go ahead and download the, the Shakespeare Film Festival, Radio Film Festival that we did with Joseph a couple years back uh, for the greatest crash course uh, on William Shakespeare that you will ever get. Find all that at shop. .mikechurch.com. All right, I have a special treat queued up for you. Um, this is You Told Me Once, your favorite Christmas song, or, or, or song for this. So that is the choir of King's College in Cambridge and the Holly and the Ivy. Do you know, before you told me about that song, I'd never heard it. I'd never heard that song before. But when I asked you when we did our Joseph Pierce Christmas special back in 2017, what was your favorite Christmas song? You told me Holly and the Ivy. Is it still your favorite Christmas song and why? Yes, it is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a favorite of mine. And yeah, yeah, I don't hear it as often over here as on the other side of the pond, but it's beautiful. Well, I, I actually appertaining to our present conversation, just listen to some of the, some of the lyrics, some of the words. No, the, the, um, rising of the sun, the rhyming of the deer, the playing of the merry organ, sweet singing in the choir. Well, there we have the first two. God's creation, God's great works of art, right? The rising sun, the running deer. But then we have uh, we, uh, as sub-creators, using the, the imaginative gifts we've been given, with the, the playing of the organ, with music, with the singing of the choir, with song, um, how we can raise our own voices in praise, in beauty to God as the giver of all beauty. And we see it just encapsulated in those four lines. Uh, I love the jollity of it. I mean, um, it's, it really is alive with the life of Christ. No, it is, and it's a beautiful song. And you know, if you if you put it into if your music player is iTunes and you search for the Holly and the Ivy, there are hundreds of people who have covered that song. I, I mean, in different languages, they have covered that track. Uh, the Holly and the Ivy. So, folks, if you didn't have it on your Advent listening list and then uh, on your Christmas tide uh, listening list, add the Holly and the Ivy. Okay, um, are we in a more cynical age than we were three years ago as a result of kind of what's happened with our politics, Joseph? Do you think that that we've gotten more cynical, or are we getting more? tempered <laughs> and uh, maybe uh, maybe we are growing weary of marinating in this stew of evil that's all around us that's coming at us seemingly in every direction from our government what do you think well i i would i would maybe define some terms there for me cynicism is a sin okay. uh, because it's it's looking it's looking at the world through should we say uh, dark glasses and not seeing the beauty. So it's, it's presuming the worst, uh, uh, um, uh, not seeing the goodness, truth, and beauty that underpins it. And let's not forget the words of Samwise Gabji: "Above all shadows rides the sun." 
No, that ultimately, good is truth and beauty triumphs. So there's no reason for, for uh, a Christian to ever be cynical. Now, for, for, uh, for a Nietzschean, for a relativist, yes, because they don't believe in truth. So, of course, they can be cynical about everything. We do believe in truth, so we should, we should not be cynical. But, yes, we do need to be skeptical. Skeptical. <laughs> we do need, yeah, we, 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 we do need to, to, to certainly uh, be, be wise enough to see the lies to see the nonsense, to see basically, you know, there's only, there's only two major philosophies uh, when it comes down to it. There's, there's, there's the philosophy that believes in the existence of truth, and there's the philosophy that, that doesn't believe in the existence of truth. And if you don't believe in the existence of truth, the only thing that's left, as Nietzsche uh, proclaims, is power, the will to power. So because we live in an age now which is relativistic, we're no longer subject to the truth and therefore to, to, to the, the virtue that, that, that truth uh, necessitates and demands. Uh, you know, we're doing what we should because it's 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 true. Um, we, we we now believe nothing's true, so really it's all about self empowerment. It's all about doing what we like. Um, and so once that that philosophy is enshrined, and of course it's enshrined very much in the highest echelons of politics today. Yep. Um, then obviously we're going to have cynicism. We're going to have lies. Um, we, we we're going to have uh, uh, deception. We're going to have statistics being um, being uh, used in order in order to. Uh, propagandize. So, you know, of course, we live in a very, very dark world. That's been the case since the fall of man. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the good are always outnumbered and, and usually being persecuted. That's the way it is. God said, Jesus Christ said, that they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So, you know, if we're looking for heaven on earth, we're looking in the wrong place. Well, I look for, uh, no, I don't look for heaven on earth because heaven's in heaven. <laughs> I look for good, for good, true, and beautiful here. And that's kind of what we try and do here on the Crusade Channel and on uh, the Mike Churchill is defend the good, the true, and beautiful. But in order to, to do that, you, you kind of have to identify them. Um, uh, and there's more than enough beauty uh, and, and, and goodness to go around. You just kind of have to look for it. But while we're on that subject, you mentioned Nietzsche. You had a piece out just, uh, what, last week? At the imaginative conservative about uh, Mac, okay, I have it. Macbeth revisited the, the the decline and fall of Frederick Nietzsche. So, is Nietzsche a modern Macbeth, or was uh, was is Shakespeare's Macbeth then is kind of a, a warning against becoming too cynical, or becoming cynical? Oh. Yeah, both. I mean, basically, you know, Nietzsche, you know, in his pride and pomposity sort of proclaimed that his ideas were new and that he was doing new things with philosophy and seeing things that nobody else had seen before him. And, and that's just nonsense. Um, obviously, Shakespeare, in the characterization of Macbeth, saw where Nietzsche's ideas would lead long before Nietzsche was even born. Um, so uh, one reason I showed, showed that two things. First of all, that, no, that, that, um, that, that, that Nietzsche's philosophy is just basically pride, uh, dressed up in, uh, in, in, in pompous philosophical language. It's nothing new. Uh, it's, as, it's, it's as old as original sin itself. Um, uh, but so I want to show that, to show that how Shakespeare sort of, you know, was, at, was ahead of Nietzsche by two and a half, two, two and a half centuries. Yep. Uh, um, but also what wanted to show what the consequences of, of Nietzscheanism, because basically Nietzsche ends up, um, Becoming suicidal, um, with, his, with you know, hating the life and and and, and the truth. Well, they believe in truth. Hating the power that he was pursuing, hating himself for it. Um, and even before he descended into insanity, which is how he ended up. Uh, but even prior to that, he was writing 
about how life was miserable and, and he's tempted to commit suicide. Um, so basically what I see is parallels between the fictional Macbeth, and this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our discussion today, you know, how, how fiction, uh, in this case drama, uh, can actually show us uh, ourselves, to show us the truth, to show us the dangers of bad actions in the case of Macbeth, where basically the rule to power uh, which, which is uh, that that rule for power is tempted basically by demonic forces. Uh, that that rule to power, if we pursue it, will be self-destructive. Will destroy others as well as ourselves, the innocent as well as the guilty. So I sometimes say that if you give the devil enough rope, he'll hang himself, but he'll hang you first. <laughs> so that's what happens. That's what happens with, uh, with 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 Macbeth. You know that the base the devil gives him enough rope, and he hangs the innocent with that rope before finally hanging himself. And and that's what, what happened to Nietzsche, and that's what's happened with the, those who have pre- preached Nietzscheanism, from the Nazis and uh, the woke generation and those who um, who propagate pride as a lifestyle. You know, these are all Nietzscheans, and they're all living miserable lives. The suicide rate amongst them is, is sky high. Uh, drug abuse and, and physical and sexual abuse is sky high uh, in that world. Um, this is just a dark underbelly. Of uh, of the lizard of the dragon of uh, of sin which we see in our society. Yeah, there's no upside to to to, to, to cynicism, uh, but to a life lived looking at it through the, the, the as you said the lens of the imago day and uh, the sense of wonder and the and the beauty that is all around. There's a tr- there's always a tremendous upside. Well, of course, heaven is the ultimate upside, right? Paradise. So there's you know, there's an upside to it, but if you're a Nietzschean or you're uh, or a utilitarian, there's only the next gear that clicked and actually turned because you know you designed the machine. Okay, what's next? Right. So you know, yeah, you you got the thing to turn. That's fantastic. Here, what does it what does it do? It, there, there, there's there's the utilitarianism, and I think we live in, a, in in quite possibly the most utilitarian age in the history of man. That everything is utilitarian. Well, how much does it cost? Okay, well, then uh, uh, I need to go out and, and, and earn this. Well, why do you need it? Well, because I must. I must have it. Well, why did you do that? Why did you? Joseph, if, if someone were to tell you, this would be a great question for Joseph. We've been having this conversation, kind of a circular conversation here on this show for the last uh, six months or so. So if I were to come to you and go like, uh, Joseph, what's the most important thing when you write a book? Is it that you get it right, you tell the truth, and you defend the good, the true, and beautiful, or is it that you sell a million copies? Go. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. It's, it, 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 it's the former. Um, you know, I, 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 be, I begin every day, one, one of my morning prayers is, is that my words will be his words. In other words, that I want my work to be a form of prayer and praise to him. Uh, and if by, by, by the gift of the, of the words that he gives me, that that prayer and praise to him can also bring others to both prayer and praise for him, then that's what uh, I'm, I, I'm, all that I desire in life uh, as, a, as, a, as hopefully a way of getting myself closer to heaven. There's a young lady out there that I think would make a very good interview with you. Her name is Sarah Kane. She writes for Crisis, Mag- uh, for Crisis Magazine from time to time. She's Crusader Gal is who she goes as. She's a recent convert to the faith. And I've interviewed her a half a dozen times or so. And yesterday she was on, and we were talking about the fall of a church militant and some of these other uh, 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 people and entities that get really close to, to evil. And she said, she said something profound for a 26-year-old. She goes, well, I don't think that we should be making media 
uh, and should be in the uh, in, in the business of, of, of producing media that uh, uh, has as its goal the amount of clicks or views that you get for it. She said, the, the first thing we ought to do is just make sure that we're telling the truth. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, there is hope for your generation, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that absolutely does warm the cockles of my heart to hear that. You know, we talked about cynicism. As Oscar Wilde, I think, gave the best definition of cynicism. He said a, a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the reason that we're losing freedom is that, as you know, we know that we know the cliche, freedom is not free. Freedom comes at a price, and because most of us are more interested in comfort than freedom, we don't want to pay the price. So therefore, we we, we, we choose slavery uh, over freedom because we don't want to we don't want the self sacrifice that freedom uh, demands. So in other words, you know, to know the price of the value of nothing is to, is to take the path of least resistance and to, uh, to see merely that which is least trouble or least expensive to me, rather than what, what the true value of something is, and and, and I may need to pay more for it because it's worth it. All right, our final question with Joseph Pierce, uh, the author of so many books. Get the uh, Joseph Pierce collection set. There are three of them, actually, in the Founders Trade and Post Storage shop, .mikechurch.com. And I must get a copy of this uh, newest work of yours, um, uh, which is called The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful, History in Three Dimensions. You want to give us a one-minute uh, uh, one minute summary of that? Of, uh, history in Three Dimensions. I, I'm interested. Uh, how do you do History in Three Dimensions? Well, okay, again, the the uh, the uh, the, the two-minute version. It was inspired by some words of the great uh, Pope uh, Pope Benedict XVI, who oh. said that ultimately the only defense for the Church are the saints that she's uh, uh, nurtured and the great works of beauty that she's inspired. So that's 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 the the good and the beautiful. But of course, the enemy of the good and the beautiful is is the evil, uh, is the absence of goodness and beauty. So the whole of history basically is Homo Viator, the man who's pilgrim man on the path to heaven, virtuous man, a Homo Superbus, proud man who refuses the journey to heaven and goes his own way, and, and Anthropos. He looks up in wonder and produces be beautiful works of, of art, literature, music. Um, so my book has the one chapter for every one of the centuries since the time of Christ, the 20 chapters, uh, is divided between the good is mostly the saints of that century, but not exclusively. The bad, which is Caesar and Judas, in other words, uh, secularism and the enemies within the church, heretics and others. Um, uh, and then the beautiful, whatever great works of art were produced during that particular century. So I, you see the three dimensions are the good, the bad, and the beautiful, and it shows history as a tapestry. Every century is, is these three threads weave, they, weave their th way through history. So that's 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 the idea of it. That's what it does. In in your uh, recent essay at the at the at the imaginative conservative, um, uh, the best and worst of centuries. Did you actually determine which was the best and which was the worst, <laughs> or, or or are there just worst centuries? Plural. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, people want to know what's the best century. What's the best yeah, actually, century? Yeah, I actually questioned that. The, the whole point of my book is that every century is, is, is composed of those who are following Christ and, of, and, of, and of the power of Judas and the power of Caesar, the enemies of the followers of Christ. So every, that, that pattern is the same in every century. So you can say there are some centuries perhaps where the bad is, is even worse or at least more prominent than in other centuries. But that same pattern is throughout all of them. So in fact, the, 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 the century that's normally considered the greatest from a Catholic perspective is the 13th century, and that's like 
the high middle ages and what have you and of course wonderful gothic architecture but in my book i call it the best and worst of times that taken from charles dickens's book two cities in other words yes there's some wonderful things happening in that century but there's some pretty bad things happening as well you I mean the, the uh, fall of constantinople uh the uh, the uh the, the, the sacking of constantinople by christians the the, 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 the sacking of, of christian cities by crusaders that's right uh, have nothing to do with the crusades you know so, you know, we, 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 you know, they have bad things. And that century gave way to the following century where you have three people claiming to be Pope. I mean, so, so that the, the point is, even if we look at the best of times, there's no, the only golden age is in heaven. There's no golden age in the future to look forward to in time. And there was no golden age in the past. Um, from the time of Christ, when Christ was crucified, that, that, that sets the pattern for history, that, that those followers of Christ are always going to be the church militant, the church uh, war, be the Christi soldiers for Christ in enemy territory. And, and by the way, uh, just uh, for those of you who are listening, and you heard Joseph mention homo viator, uh, I went to France, that's right, I traveled all the way to Chavagna and spent uh, nine days with Joseph. We did a conference with our friend Ferdy McDermott, and do um, you remember the theme of the, what, the, what was the theme? I'm trying to remember now. Um, you were the star t- teacher, though. I mean, people were there to hear you. Well, we, we, we did, as you say, we did do a lot of Shakespeare there, but I really, I, I, I was literature in general, I think, but uh, but there was a, a lot of Shakespeare. But you um, did, but you did the three homos because there's three, <laughs> three. That's not three gay guys. <laughs> three homos. <laughs> yes, uh, an unfortunate turn of phrase there. But, uh, <laughs> the three homos. <laughs> Pierce with the three homos. <laughs> there's homo viator, homo. Uh, uh, help me out. Homo super, homo superbus, and then anthropos, which is Greek. So homo viator means man on a journey, yep. or pilgrim man, or. Uh, man on a quest, and that's what all of us are meant to be, on the quest for heaven. Uh, Homo superbus is proud man who refuses the quest so he can do his own thing. Now, Thropos is he who looks up in wonder. Um, that's the Greek word for man. So that, 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 they're the three aspects of who we are, and I wouldn't be speaking about that, even if I'm talking about literature, because great literature shows us those three faces of humanity. That's right. I mean, you can get that set. We recorded the whole thing. The whole thing is available. All, all, all those talks, uh, I think you did seven. All seven of uh, Joseph's talks and, and, and five or six others are available in the Founders Trading Post or in the digital media collection from, I, I want to say it was the Imagine something, Imagination something uh, was the title of it. But if you search... Yeah, I think, the, yeah, I think you're right. The Christian Imagination and something. I think, I think it yeah. was. Uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, at, uh, to, it was pre-COVID, we were in France, the south of France, beautiful pastoral, uh, the church bells ringing, the bakery opens at five, you smell the bread. It's <laughs> uh, sparked my love of all things French to the point where I'm now, uh, what, 180 days into my French course and learning to speak the French language. So when I do get to go back, I can actually converse. Uh, and I'm working on that. Well, Joseph, uh, we have run out of time, as is uh, usually the case whenever you and I get to sit down together. Too bad there weren't any craft ales and uh, shots of expensive scotch here, but that will come up someday in the future. What are you working on now? Well, you know, I must confess, I've, I've, I've got so many other jobs to do, uh, teaching, speaking, that I'm not actually writing a book at the moment. I want to get going on another book, but I've been, I've just been commissioned to write introductions to several Shakespeare plays for new editions coming out. So I'm keeping myself busy. Okay. You always are. You're the hardest working man in literature. <laughs> well, thank 
Thank you. Thank well, you. Hey, and, and you're a good and dear friend, and it's good to have you uh, to, to talk with you again. I wait uh, far too long to send that invite out. It won't happen again. God bless you and uh, your wonderful family and Suzanne and your children. And by the way, uh, 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 I, I, I love, I have a, a, a new love of the name Evangeline. I just love that name of uh, your wonderful family, uh, a blessed Advent and a wonderful Christmas. And uh, we will have you on Burley back in, uh, in, in, in 2024. God willing, if us old two guys, if, if these two old guys live that long, I'll talk to you next year. Okay, we'll hobble, we'll hobble across the uh, the threshold of the new year. I'm sure. Yeah, we will. All right, brother uh, Joseph. God bless you. Thank you for your time, as always. God bless you. Thanks, Mike. All Bye. right, we'll talk soon. And uh, that's uh, Joseph Pierce there on the Dude Maker Hotline here.